my name's Rebecca Reese, and welcome to Digital Dissect, the podcast that observes and breaks open the music industry through the lens of digital analysis. Welcome to a bonus episode, where today we're doing things slightly differently. Keely Liprock, founder of online community Sassen Snarl, invited Digital Dissect to host a panel about careers in music. At her conference, the revolution will be televised. I was joined by some brilliant guests to deep dive into different music sectors and job roles to shine a light on what's out there and how you can get there. It was a very insightful conversation, so I wanted to share it with you here. Firstly, I'm joined by Pauline Makoko, Head of Advertising at Drift Live, who were recently announced as the partners to Glastonbury's livestream at Worthy Farm this summer, as well as founder of Foundation FM, Frankie Wells, who lives in the world of radio and gives a platform to underrepresented communities in broadcasting. Completing the panel is Head of Sync at Cooking Vinyl Verity Griffiths, who over the last 15 years has secured sync placements for artists such as Nina Nesbitt and The Prodigy, as well as representing artists in the Defected Records, Fat Cat Records and the Orchard Rosters. We'll be discussing the current state of the job market, motivations of these wonderful women to work their way around an unpredictable industry, and how they have achieved success in their personal development, whilst working to push the industry forward. Before exploring how to temper expectations and attitudes in a business where there really is no fixed framework. Thank you so much to Keely for inviting us to have this conversation, so please give her a follow at atsassensnarl on Instagram. everyone welcome to our careers in music conversation where we're going to deep dive into some different music sectors and job roles to shine a light on what's out there and how you can get there and I'm joined by some wonderful panelists today so um, we've got Verity head of sync at cooking vinyl we've got Pauline head of advertising at drift live we've got Frankie Wells co-founder and station manager at foundation fm and I'm Rebecca Reese. I'm currently tying up a music business degree and I also used to work in digital marketing at Cooking Vinyl and have now gone freelance in marketing and my own side projects, including a podcast and event promotions. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for joining me today. How are you all doing? Good. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. So let's start by setting the scene of the contemporary music industry a little bit. The UK Music by Numbers report published last November showed that employment in the UK in the music industry economy hit an all-time high in 2019 with 190,000 people working in a variety of roles that generated £2.9 billion in revenue. And this also enabled a contribution of £4.7 billion in music tourism. And so how does this 190,000 break down by sector? Just a few examples. The music creators, so musicians, singers and songwriters, and for the first time, producers were counted into this figure. There's 139,000 of them that have contributed to half of the industry's revenue. And then we have other jobs, including managers, trade bodies and accountants that make up 2.6,000 jobs, um, music publishing and rights holders that make up 1.3,000 jobs. And additionally, the live sector makes up 30.5,000 jobs. 
However, in October last year, during the pandemic, The Guardian reported that we are going to face a loss of 170,000 jobs, primarily within live and um, with music creators. They also announced that 52,000 permanently employed staff were predicted to lose their job when furlough ends. So it's no secret that we now face a huge marathon in terms of recuperating these figures and making sure that there's some really secure job roles in our industry. So I'm going to go straight to you with this one, Pauline. Drift is an event promoter and it was born in the pandemic. Um, You sold half a million tickets across the world in 150 different countries. And you've also just been announced as the official partners for the Glastonbury livestream on the 22nd of May. So this was obviously quite a, a clear case of you spotting a gap in the market. So what was your value proposition and how are you paving the way when the live industry is kind of in this state? So the drift was started by ATC Management, who also has a live agency. So I think when things started to get cancelled, we were super aware of the live music struggling and we had quite a lot of artists that were going to release album and album being pushed so that it could align with tools. There was a lot of artists doing live stream on Facebook or Instagram and it was like from home or from a studio and it didn't always look very, like all sounded very good. So it's always very difficult when you're just recording on your phone to deliver a proper show and it was quite early in the quarantine process that we were thinking maybe we can go down to a venue and have some of our artists as management company perform a live stream and get people to buy tickets for it. So that's why the first Drift show was Laura Marling, who we managed, and the same with Nick Cave. What makes Drift different is how much attention we put into producing like high-end quality content. So it's like you wouldn't ask fans to pay £20 for a live stream if it's filmed on your phone which is why we have like naughty camera live stream and the content looks really good. And we do marketing pre-shoots so that we know, we let people know what they're going to pay for and like the high end quality of the content that they should be expecting. So most of this is done in-house, right? Um, so you have that management over the marketing and also the production of it. Yeah. So we have a head of production who goes through all of the shows and work with the artists and like a management team. I but do all the ad booking and we do all the marketing in-house. So it's very much uh, from start to finish, we will hold the artist and management hand to make sure that we deliver the show that they are expecting. And I think this is why it works so well is because overseeing everything and having the production team in-house allows us to pitch to them what kind of asset we want to be pushing the show. And it's just like, it's very, it's still quite a small team. It makes it very easy to communicate and get things done. And you explained that Drift come from ATC management. They were born from there. What was the proposition for you coming from there into Drift, which was this brand new startup? How did you know you were like ready to take that step and kind of still thrive in your role in this new environment? So um, at AT management, I used to also help on the tour promotion. And I think that was always the bit that I enjoyed the most because it's it's so much faster than an album release. If you work on an album release, you can be on it for like, a year and a half and I think at the end of the album campaign you just like if someone mentioned this album one more time but on the tour it's just so much quicker and especially on the live stream it's like we have a turnover it's like we announced the show and then three weeks later the show is done and then we move on to another project so I think I really like the fast pace that the live music industry has um, so I think it was quite an easy step and I've been at ATC for five years before so I think I was ready for something new and working with different 
kind of artists as well because if you work on a management company managers are probably the team for the artist that is staying the longest so you end up working with the same artist forever so essentially just yeah a bit of change and being on a higher turnover of projects so Verity let's go to you to discuss sync You've been running the in-house sync department at Cooking Vinyl for seven years now. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of some past campaigns and projects you've worked on that you're really proud of and how these came together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm very lucky in my role that I get to pitch worldwide all media across our roster. So I've got to work on some really interesting campaigns, um, whether they're like a global campaign with Nike for the Prodigy. Um, a FIFA trailer we did with Avelino, which won um, Best Games trailer at the Music Week Sync Awards. And then just some really fun like film and TV projects, especially, I think I love it when it's like TV shows that are really known for like their music. So like Sex Education, which has, you know, always uncovers some really quirky gems. Grey's Anatomy, which is always known for its very emotional heartstrings. And um, it's always great to land bands on like Made in Chelsea as well, because they're really known as tastemakers. So like recent campaigns, I mean, we have... One personal buzz for me was landing a track on the Falcon and Winter Soldier for Fantastic Negrito. I just completed the Marvel Comic Universe during lockdown, which was a commitment of many, many films. So uh, to get that at a time when it was launching on Disney Plus, and I think it was their like, most watched global premiere at the time, was you know felt really good. Plus, I'm a diehard EastEnders fan, so anytime I hear one of our bands behind the book, very happy with that. <laughs> Um, and then in terms of pandemic stuff, um, I'm sure you know from your time here, Nina Nesbitt is one of our priority artists. So we had a big campaign launching for her last January with PG Tips. And we'd worked with the brand for months before um, creating a bespoke version of Rick Astley's Together Forever. And it was due to launch with the Samaritans around Blue Monday and the idea of, you know, let's eradicate loneliness. Let's all get together for a cup of tea. So it launched, it was a great success. And then as everybody knows, six weeks later, the pandemic hit and it was now illegal to go to your neighbours for a cup of tea. So we had to pivot with the brand very quickly and they were one of the first ones to record, you know, the kind of Zoom type, let's get together over FaceTime, you know, we can be together when we're apart. And that worked so well with the song that the parent company Unilever ended up taking the same track for a similar Lipton brand campaign globally. So that was definitely a win for the artist. And then one thing Nina's really good at is getting us music up front. So... We were able to pitch an unreleased song she had for a TikTok campaign recently for International Women's Day. And they picked that for their kind of hero film, which is all about how the platform empowers female creators. And as a result, our marketing team were able to react and get it up on DSPs and plan a release around it just as a standalone because everybody's eagerly awaiting her next album here. So it was nice to have something to drop in the meantime. Absolutely. They sound like some really fantastic syncs. And um, yeah, you should be really proud of that success. And as you mentioned there, you had to pivot quite quickly for mm-hmm. Nina's campaign. So has the pandemic meant that you've had to create stronger relationships with artists and just across the industry to still secure these? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. For artists, you know, as William was saying, like the loss of touring income has been a big issue. So they're looking for ways to plug that and sync definitely seems like one everybody would like to maximise the opportunities on. So we've been spending time with our artists, whether it's giving them ideas on themes and common trends and think if they want to write specifically for that or ideas of certain songs that work well for covers if they want to when they're recording something anyway go in and lay some of those down because covers is not a trend that's ever going away sadly or not sadly depending on your opinion of them so just spending time with those setting up writing camps and in a way it's actually made things a little more accessible to some people because our publishing arm has set up writing camps with you know international sub-publishers and whereas previously maybe a handful could have got the funding to go and do them now you know anyone can join on a zoom and uh, you know maximize those opportunities 
And then in terms of general clients, I mean, ours is a relationship business and it's built on taking people to shows and for coffees and for lunches. And so we've been doing that all remotely as much as we can. But I think everybody is super keen to get back out in real life and remember how to make small talk again because it's been a while. Absolutely. How do you feel like the pandemic has changed sync? Like what will be exciting in the post-pandemic world for you? I mean, literally just seeing people in real life. Like for what, you know, there was a minor pause when productions were getting shut down and obviously they're now reopened in a COVID secure way. So touch wood, that won't happen again. But just getting out again and seeing the people because it's such a great area of the industry. Everyone is really friendly and inclusive and happy to share knowledge and always happy to have a pint. So just looking forward to seeing people and taking them to the show again, really. Absolutely. And um, before you cooking vinyl you were working at Ministry of Sound Mm -hmm. so how did your transition to cooking vinyl enable you to grow a bit more in your role? I was really lucky in ministry. I had a really, you know, it was my first job in music and I had a really supportive boss. He, I came in to support the compilations team and she was happy for me to kind of take any opportunity that came up. So she trained me in licensing clearances. And from there, I kind of helped the A&R team with international licensing and marketing. And then when somebody went out one sync person went to UMPG I was like okay that's that's the job I want so it was great to grow within that roster but when the cooking vinyl position came up I was an indie kid growing up and I love guitar bands so it just seemed like a really good fit and a really good chance to kind of broaden the roster I represented. At university you did an English literature and media studies degree right so mm-hmm. what made you decide to go to ministry and just to be in the music industry? I never I mean I had vague uh, inklings that I wanted to be a music journalist but generally nothing super specific. So I was very happy to do a fairly broad degree. And at that time, you know, synchronisation wasn't the bigger part of the industry that it is now. It was almost a little bit uncool for bands to like sell out and be on adverts. Whereas now it's seen as a lot more of a creative process, I think. So the job didn't exist. And I was just lucky that I kind of had various experiences that put me in the right position and combined my love of film and TV and music. Great. So we're seeing how different roles and sectors are sort of being affected with you both there in events and in sync. But we also have countless organisations that are really working hard to break down the accessibility barrier that young people have been facing for a long time pre-pandemic when trying to enter the industry. And in the past, UK Music have run careers fairs at BBC Introducing Live and have really useful career information packs on their websites that people can access. We have initiatives like Next Stage, funded by the Arts Council to to champion disabled talent into the industry and the Music Publishers Association provided five scholarships to black and minority ethnic applicants to really try and positively champion underrepresented voices in the music industry. So I want to go to you here Frankie. You founded a radio station called Foundation FM that hosts mix hours with primarily LGBTQ and women communities in music. You've mentioned before that you've actively been having conversations with the queer communities and the South Asian communities to get their voices heard on air and connecting with places outside of the UK like Germany and Italy and the US. What have you learned about accessibility to the music industry from being an advocate for these communities? I think the main thing I've learned that I I live in a bubble and things aren't very accessible. I think, you know, there's a lot of time where, you know, there's checklists, but the checklists seem to stop at a point. And I think everyone I'm surrounded with in the creative world just feels like that's not 
quite good enough anymore. And the more we have these open conversations, the more we are activating change. So I think it's really important that we connect with people in our communities and outside. That's why it's been really important for Foundation FM to kind of open up our airwaves, not from like just people from inside the UK, but outside. And I think one thing that is really important in accessibility is representation. So, you know, you can turn on the news and see someone like you or presenting the news or you can tune in and you can hear a voice like yours and I think I don't know I know growing up listening to radio like I heard a lot of people sound like they're from London and you know we're really passionate about having accents from all over the UK like I talk to one of our presenters who has a weekly show and she's always really nervous about being from Manchester because she just hasn't heard it growing up and that's something that like it's just an accent, but for her, it's the biggest thing when she doesn't hear someone like her. And therefore, if we keep building and building and building like this roster of representation, it will like slowly infiltrate these bigger platforms. For me, it just doesn't move fast enough, but I think that's because things are so fast moving now. I think just listening to the conversations with you two, like people are just building things out of thin air because we can now and where the market allows us so that's really exciting and I think the more we're able to do that the more accessibility comes together with platforms. Has you founding Foundation FM and championing this allowed you to have these bigger conversations with platforms that perhaps you think aren't doing it as well? Yeah for sure I think they like we reach out and they reach out and we have these talks but sometimes I think just their face value talks. I can be super frustrated by it and I'm me like I'm white you know outwardly straight woman so for me to be frustrated I can't even imagine how other people of colour and people in the queer community feel. I think especially in the last year where you know we've had so much taken away from us like live events And just actually being going out and seeing people, it's like added to this frustration where we just feel like actually we can sit back and look at the overarching what's actually going on and just think, you know, why why haven't we moving forward? So, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of discussion and I feel very lucky that Foundation FM is always a part of it. But I'm a big advocate for change and and maybe I'm impatient. I don't know. (laughs) What motivated you to start your own company? Like, what were your personal motivations aside from wanting to represent the things that you weren't seeing represented? I think I just heard the word no around my ideas a lot. And I don't know if they were bad ideas, but I just wasn't vibing with the word no. I just felt like there is so much more to the world. I I was kind of straddling two worlds of talk radio and music radio. And I was at LBC and I was at Radio One and Capital Extra. So for me, I just felt like, these two worlds could definitely come together. And I think one thing I'm really proud about at Foundation is that FM is that we have so many music shows, but we also have so many talk shows. We have talk shows on wellness, on politics, on activism, on poetry, fashion, art, you name it. And I think the more we kind of tie these worlds together, the more we can become even more creative. But also, like I was saying, have that representation on air. Like you don't have to know the coolest thing in music but you're still interesting and you still have a story to tell. It just might be your niche is something else. And so I wanted to kind of tie these worlds together. And I just thought, why not? I didn't see any reason not to start my own radio station. And I think the fact that we now have, you know, community radio stations that function mostly on Wi-Fi and online, the world's kind of our oyster. And there's so much room for so many communities. So 
yeah, I just didn't feel like there was any reason not to. You said before that your proposition is just to use audio to connect communities. And do you feel like this is your primary focus going forward in your career? Are there other things you would like to do? Yeah, I'm massively into storytelling. Like I genuinely believe everyone's got a story to tell and I find every single person fascinating. And I find that radio is just such a human way to connect. I think everyone felt it during lockdown. And I definitely saw it reflected in like foundation that when we couldn't go out and see our friends, you know, the radio was there. You turned it on and people were reflecting how you felt. It was actually quite emotional. Um, And so I think connecting communities via radio is just a really human, personal thing. And it's definitely something I am so passionate about. I think anytime you think you've got an idea for radio and you're nervous about doing it, I'm all, I, I say to everyone, like, don't wait for me to give you a show because, you know, the amount of hours we're on air and the amount of slots we have are limited, but it doesn't stop you from recording something and put it on SoundCloud or MixCloud or even starting your own radio station. Nothing is stopping anyone. Um, so I'm hugely passionate about everyone getting on air and just everyone sharing their story because I think it's all important but I think that it doesn't just stop there for foundation and myself like you were saying Pauline like I'm always looking for the next challenge you know like I want to get more experiences and learn more and just become a multifaceted functioning company it's not just radio so you know we're looking at events and we're playing a few festivals and we're looking at talent management and labels and we're kind of you know we want to become bigger so that we can pull more people in and like train them up and get their in the door and foundation's just been a really fun way to not only make connections but help other people grow going back to the community there and sort of giving people a place to collaborate and be creative podcasting is is a growing thing that is facilitating this and you've done podcasting as well as producing radio for broadcast so what do you prefer between radio and podcasting like what are the benefits of both for you I do really love a podcast, don't get me wrong. And I love how you get sucked into a series, like almost like you're watching a show and I am, oh, just any crime. I don't know what's wrong with me, but any crime podcast, I'm just there, I'm sucked in. So I do really love it. And like you get to follow a story. Um, I love live radio because the energy, anything can happen. That's the exciting part. People think they're similar, but for me, they're very, very different medias. Like Podcasts is um, very curated things, whereas live radio is just anything can happen and just the energy just can't match it. So I'm itching to get back into the live studio. Yeah, I don't know. I don't make me choose. I love them both. <laughs> Did you find that like finding your own company yourself allowed you to give yourself some direction? Before we've spoken about how at school in education yeah. you're going through this like predictable trajectory of of where you're going to go where your next step is but then when you get into the music industry somewhere like that there isn't a fixed framework of how you get there particularly so I'm interested what everyone thinks about this but Frankie for you having founded your own company did this allow you and support you with direction? Yeah, I think so. I'm just a very goal-orientated person. Like, I journal everything and I write all my goals down and I just want to achieve them. And I have, like, a million different things I want to do. Like I said, I'm super impatient. And so having foundation be, I guess, the vehicle of it and channeling it all into one, it did really help. But that doesn't mean I don't always, you know, look outside of foundation just because I I don't want to just be one Thing. I don't want to just be like this company but it did really help but I definitely get what you mean like I think also starting foundation just came at the right time in my life like 
I was 26. So coming out of university and having those like four or five years of being like, what am I doing? And then landing on foundation, I think made sense. And it did help me find structure and direction. But I had to go through all of the being pulled in so many places and working in so many different parts of the music industry from podcast and production and live radio, but also in events and radio plugging and working at labels. I had to go and do all of that to gain the experience to start Foundation FM. So looking back, it now makes sense by the time what a mess. Do you guys have any thoughts on that sort of that jump between you realising you wanted to be in music and then how you were going to get there? I'm from France, so we is very different uni there. Like we wouldn't have, like you know, in the UK you have like music unis where, like you know, if you want to work in music, you can go to those unis, and it's like a way in. I think in France we don't really have that. So I think I was going to uni, being like, I'm going to learn about marketing. I was like, but I want to work in music, so I'm going to have to to do everything that I can in order to use that knowledge that I'm learning to then use it in music. It is hard, I think, and it is like a lot of my friends are like, oh yeah, but you're in music. It's like, it is fun. It's not like no pressure. And it's like, "Um, (laughs) yes, (laughs) it's always more challenging than you would think, I think. And it's such a closed industry. Like it's so hard to get your first job because I feel like jobs don't get advertised that much I mean I got my job because I was working at ATC and Drift was funded by people at ATC so my job was never advertised and it's like I know a lot of people that just got job because they did like internship they helped booking show they were like hammering people like always asking how they could help and then a job would come up and someone would be like calling them say oh actually we're looking for an assistant we have an entry job do you want to have it and it's like so many of those jobs don't get advertised so I think that is the the most difficult part of this that it feels like if you're not like in the scene it's really hard to get into it I think we feel the same struggles and um, when you do land that job that you've wanted for a long time it is so much more rewarding and when you when you're enjoying it as well you know the fact that you yourself got yourself there is is really rewarding and so what mentorships and online communities can you all recommend to support people getting into the industry I feel like she said so really great I don't know if you follow them, but they also have a mentor scheme and they have a newsletter that I have been a part for for ages, but they advertise really great job opportunities. And like Pauline was saying, it's, it's really hard to find the opportunities out there. And I just off the back of that wanted to say that I think one thing that really helped me get my foot in the door was don't wait for permission, like use the internet. And if you want to be a music writer, just start writing. If you want to make a radio show, just make a radio show. If you want to start a late, like if you want to be in a label, start a label because that will open doors for you. Like that will get people to notice you and you'll end up networking and like rubbing shoulders with the right people eventually. The hardest part is starting. But yeah, in terms of mentorships, I would definitely say I'm a big fan of newsletters. So she said, so the bring in, um, Women in Control are just ones that I am. I really look forward to reading and there's always great opportunities on there. And they actually always have good um, networking events. It's been quite hard because obviously we can't go out and see each other, but they do encourage a lot of networking. And even if you just drop some people a line, I feel like I've definitely been a big fan of being a mentee and a mentor. And sometimes that's just people, you know, sliding into my DMs or me and theirs being like, hey, I would love to grab a coffee with you sometime. Never be afraid to ask. I just think always ask. Yeah, I think I agree. I've, we've had it a few times at Drift when it's like students, for example, doing their like final year presentation thing and just like sending an email asking for question. And maybe not everyone, but I'm always happy to sit down with people and like have a chat. And it's just so many of the jobs that 
are available now. It's just like, it's so niche and people don't really know what it implies. It's like my job is like head of advertising, but half the people probably don't know what it actually is. So it's like just sitting down with people and explaining, this is what I do. This is what my colleague does. And like, then it just helps you to know what you want to do. That's just really important. It's also like, I've had to done so many like shit jobs, like to like learn and to know what I wanted to do and what I didn't want it to do. And it's like, it's fine if you start and you don't really like what you're doing, but then you just meet people and you just like, people inspire you along the way and like you get a good connection with people. And then when they need someone, they'll get in touch with you. And it's like this, there's so many like little opportunities that will bring someone to like their dream job. So I think it's always like really important to be around and to reach out to people. Yeah, and I think there's maybe some extra opportunities in the pandemic um, in terms of before, if somebody asked me for a coffee, much as I would have loved to, I couldn't necessarily like leave my desk regularly for those. But, you know, I'm always happy to take like a phone call or an email and kind of fill people in. And then the other way around, I would say, I've definitely been learning more about other areas of the industry. So I would say, even if you have a particular interest, there's so much free information out there at the moment and great events like this. And if you're able to plug into that, I know, for example, like the MPA we mentioned, do their like futures programming and AIM, they do a lot of programs. And I've been signing up personally just to a lot more wider industry stuff, which if I'd have had to say, oh, can I justify a ticket to go and see this? I might not have been able to because it might have had like two panels on sync and it wouldn't have been so relevant to me. But being able to like dip in and out of the wider stuff is really what helps you connect the dots. And as you say, meeting people who may or may not be you know helpful to your career or you could be helpful to them or it's just um, making those connections and I definitely find it really satisfying when I can connect two people who would never have met otherwise and something good comes of it because it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah that's brilliant so we've got sign up to mailers get networking don't be afraid to reach out ask people for a coffee and sort of experiment your way through job roles see what you like see what you don't like also finding your own opportunities, as Frankie said, if no one's willing to give them to you yourself. Personally, as a student, I found people were quite scared to apply for jobs or go into job roles where they don't really know what to expect. I just think that there's always scope to learn on the job, especially in the music industry when there isn't that kind of like fixed framework. So I think it's really just putting yourself out there, isn't it? And grabbing any opportunity to meet new people and learn and be curious. I want to touch on relationships and expectations now. So Pauline, in order to make the events a global success over the last year, I expect you've had to create a lot of partnerships. And how did you get clients and teams, for example, labels and managers to put their trust in you as an outlet when there wasn't much else for artists and it felt like quite a big risk? I think the key in like getting people to agree to do those live stream and like ask for payment from like people to buy tickets I think because of the first two shows that we did were artists within our management company so it's two artists that were managed by two men who built uh, Drift then we just used that as a presentation like to reach out to other people saying this is what we did this is how many tickets we've sold this is how nice the show was and then it was such an easier conversation to have and a lot of those artists will be on the same label so like and we did quite a lot of shows with BMG and then it's like we've done the show and it went really well so then they're like okay we have another album campaign do you want to do that show with us? And that's just like, it just comes naturally when projects are successful, being responsive, being nice, being helpful. And then people will keep like good memories of you and then they'll think about you for the next project. And I think that has been quite a big, a big thing for us. And then 
I think it was the Niall Horan show that just pushed it to another level because like, I mean, Laura Marling and Nick Cave are very big artists, but I think like Niall is such a big name that it was such a good publicity having that and saying, okay, so we managed to do it. And then people were feeling a bit more reassured, I think. Did this also translate into, I'm not sure if you've made any relationships with brands and sponsors. I'm sure you sort of had to create a lot of relationships in order to secure the Glastonbury live stream. So obviously you've spoken about audiences there, but I'm just wondering how this connects on the industry side. At the end of the day, it is such a small industry. Once you've done work with a few people, then the messaging spreads quickly. And on the case of Glastonbury, they had to cancel and they were talking about the fact that they wanted to do a live stream. And then it was just like everyone at Drift saying, oh, maybe we'll do a live stream. And it was like, okay, how do we secure this? And it's been such an exciting project. It's a mix between our brand manager and then the management teams that have pre-existing relationship with brands and that can connect us so it's all very much everyone has to work together in order for things to work it's quite beautiful to see when agent and manager and labels and everyone just like working together to deliver the best show I think that's really interesting and really does prove that it is a relationship-based industry and it's quite interesting what you say about it being small and you sort of get recommended as soon as you've done those first few things. Going back on a personal level to your career and, and where you've got to, you've worked in social media and PR way before you were in advertising. So at a personal level, how did you make the most of your experience in these roles, what would you recommend people do more actively of when seeking opportunities to grow within their roles or to better their career or just to grow as a person? I used to work in the shop and I think that that helped me so much about like dealing with artists and dealing with like managers and stuff. And it is like a front facing, like human relationship there's so many of it there's so many different layers about it or everything that I've learned working at a till and like doing like customer services so helpful now in my day-to-day job it's everything that I've done in the past is just helping me today I feel it's like everything's building and you can use every little bit and I think what can people do actively I think it's like stop waiting for the perfect job because I'm not sure it really exists and like I had it before when I was looking for internship I was like, oh yeah I'd love to work there but at the same time I don't really like the roster and it's like well I don't think that shouldn't stop you it's just like you can make it the perfect job if you go in and then you do what you want to be doing and I think yeah the perfect job doesn't exist So just going to you now, Verity, how do you separate your work and home life? Because the nine to five job is not a thing in music, right? And especially with the pandemic, you know, we're working longer hours. We're at our screens all the time. How can you set boundaries for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think we all did that at the beginning of lockdown and, you know, worked every hour under the sun and then wondered why we couldn't move at the end of the day. And definitely in my role, you know, because I work worldwide, I wake up to briefs in Australia and, you know, go to bed emailing with LA and it would be really easy to work 24-7. And I'm sure there are people who do, but I wouldn't be a very nice person <laughs> outside of work if I did, I think. So just setting boundaries, as you say. Um, I'm a big fan of, at the end of the day, I've got my laptop on a riser with a wireless mouse here, big fan of putting it in a box sliding it under the sofa and kind of you know away with my work paraphernalia and just doing something so I'm not moving from one chair to the sofa in terms of whether it's you know something really simple like going for a walk around the block or I'm definitely a big advocate of yoga with Adrian because again sitting eight hours a day is not good for anyone or 10 or 12 or whatever many we do so I think it's just you know creating your own boundaries and you know making people aware that you can be contacted if there's something that needs your immediate attention and having good relationships with people so they know when they can call on you outside of hours like 
equally protecting that time. I personally, if I take a holiday, will happily put my mobile on my out of office because I would rather know that if somebody has an emergency, they can contact me than be that person checking my emails in case there's something urgent because I just, I don't switch off if I do that and I like to switch off as well. But I'm also very aware that I'm lucky to work with a team and if you're your own boss, it might not be so easy. Frankie and Pauline, do you have anything to add to that in terms of how you set your own boundaries? Oh, I'm going to take these tips. I'm the worst at it. I am really bad at setting boundaries, but I learned in the last year, especially like you say, we're at home and like you can just work 24 hours. Running a station predominantly on my <laughs> predominantly on my own and having to be like the station manager, brand person, social media, podcast, bad guy, good guy, life coach. It is really tricky because you want like this is a relationship based industry and you want everyone to think the best of you You, because I'm building a community I want people to know that they can trust Foundation FM and they can rely on us but I have to realize that we are human I'm human and I need to have a break and burn out like no one's going to get the best out of you if you're genuinely burnt out so and also I found myself in a position where I was like managing a team and I'd never done that before so yeah having to put boundaries in place and expectations for people from what I can get from them and what they can get from me is so important. It's a lesson I'm finding really hard because I hate to let anyone down or feel like I'm not doing my best for them. But I think it's about understanding what is a priority, putting those boundaries in place. And it doesn't have to, I always think it's going to be like, if I'm like, no, I can't deal with this right now, people are going to take it in the worst way. But actually everyone understands that this is your job and you're also human. So yeah, I'm taking that tip about when you go on holiday, putting your mobile number in there. That's fine. I'm going to do that. Um, Yeah, boundaries are super important. And I think saying no to some things and realizing your worth and understanding your value is also really important. And I don't think anyone should have to apologize. I feel bad. I feel guilty about it. And it actually really does take practice. There's sometimes I'm like sitting on my hands being like, oh my God, I feel like this is just awful. And the anxiety is crazy but yeah I'm really lucky to have a great support network around me and I think that's also really important just like talking opening up being like do you know what I need a break closing the laptop and I recently learned that the nine to five not that I work nine to five but the nine to five isn't the correct way to for creative jobs so now I'm like I'm not gonna work nine to five I'm gonna do like this here and that there and I just try and restructure my day so I am moving about and I'm not just sitting on my laptop and um yeah I think it's really important to understand what you need and what you need to gain from your work as well but I think you made a good point about your team as well and that's since I've been managing people I've been really conscious <laughs> of that that just because I might want to get on top of my inbox at 10 p.m at night it's not fair to necessarily pass that onto theirs. So just yeah. really consciously holding yeah. stuff in my drafts. Or if I do have to send something for some reason, just reminding like my team, you know, I expect you to do all this in working hours because I yeah. remember being like 10 years younger and absolutely shitting myself if I got an email from like a boss late at night because I'd be like, oh my God, what do I do? Like I'm in the bath, should I replace it I think, yeah, there's a lot of pressure of like getting, especially if you don't just work with like a team within like Europe. So it's like if you work with the US team and then it's like your day finishes literally as LA day start. So it's like all the things coming in and it's just, it's only music. We're not curing cancer. 
people can wait 24 hours. And I think like there's so much pressure, like having, or like even just some of your colleagues, like if sometimes if I get an email at like 10.30 from someone from my team, I'm like, should I be working this evening as well? Like, am I not doing enough? I think I'm getting a bit better at it. It's just like looking at your inbox and saying, okay, this is important. This is not important. Like people chasing on this is not important and just like taking the time to reply and also one thing that I've been started doing as well is if someone sends a very annoying email just breathe for five seconds reply the day after and it's all everything's going to be okay as you said it's like having a team around you that can also look after your shit when you're away it's like I'm the first person who's like when I'm taking some days off I'm like I'm not going to be checking my email and I end up checking it like every 10 minutes because I'm worried that someone's going to make a decision for me or like someone's going to be like, oh yeah, Pauline should have done that. She hasn't. So it's like this, always the anxiety of like almost someone replacing me. It's like, I know it's not going to happen because everyone has such different job roles. But I feel like there's always that pressure of being like, what if they realise that they don't need me? And it's like, well, you would have that job. And it's just like, there's always, I feel like that fear that is even more in the music industry because things are moving so fast and it's like cool bands are coming in and so quickly that it's like you always have to be relevant and you always have to like know the latest band and it's like you don't and imposter syndrome is super common I think but one tip that really helped me someone gave me was to keep like a praise folder so whenever someone compliments you or says something nice about your work just file it away and those days where you're bummed out you're like nothing's going right or this isn't happening just look at that and remind yourself no I'm you know I'm really good at my job this is why I'm here may I have this one as well that's really brilliant advice so yeah it's about making sure you remember your place and and why you're there and also just prioritizing your time and and looking out for yourself going back on expectations Frankie, quickly, I wanted to ask how you've tempered the expectations of roles and attitudes of clients or people that have employed you in the industry. Because there's not this fixed framework, roles seem to differ between different companies. As I mentioned earlier, there's always scope to learn on the job, but your role is always to suit the person that recruits you. Essentially, you're always just suiting their expectations in terms of your job role. There's no fixed role for everything. So um, yeah, firstly, I think people shouldn't be afraid to just try different sectors because no two jobs are the same in that sector but how have you managed those expectations when you've gone into roles so yeah one thing I found is that like I used to be really anxious especially at Foundation FM because it's just me like I'm responsible for everything so if a brand comes to me or we're working on a partnership like I have to deliver and you know sometimes there'll be case studies or there's always someone's shoes to fill basically and this can be in a new role with just a new work partner but One thing I found is just to find confidence in what I do and know that I'm really good at delivering what we've promised. And like you said, no two jobs are the same because you have your own experiences and your own wealth of knowledge and your own network and your own creativity. So I found with Foundation that I could have a job role that is essentially the same in writing, but if I hired two different people, they wouldn't do the exact same jobs. They would find where they would flourish. And I think that's really important to know where you flourish and kind of just grow and go in that direction. I also think communication is so key. Like I'm always checking in. 
So when I work with partners, I'm always like, by the way, we're really good at doing this. And because of X, Y, Z, it's going to help you X, Y, Z, basically. And either that that's for them or it isn't. It doesn't mean I'm bad at something because it isn't right for someone else. And yeah, I think when I am also working with my staff and I say, hey, like, I really want you to have a project. I want you to own something. Where do you want to go? I think that's really important. I'm quite lucky because foundation, like wherever we want to go and grow, we can. Like it's a bit more fluid and loose and we can. Basically, I believe that you make your own work and it definitely is a thing at foundation. And I think the more you put into something, the more you get out. So yeah, I think it's just about growing in confidence and really saying, this is what I'm good at and this is what you're going to get from me if you just like allow me to flourish in this direction but I think communication is so key and I think just being really clear you don't have to overcomplicate it you don't have to oversell yourself you don't have to say but what I am panic I think you can just really believe in your source yeah I think that's really good advice actually it can be clear when you're not confident in your ideas and no one else is going to believe in your ideas if you don't believe in them so being confident and as you say communication is key just speaking about communication there Verity I wanted to ask if you think that the industry is like there's a smooth ecosystem and it's seamless between your sector and all the other roles and jobs is within the music industry I'd love to hear the ways it is and if it's not maybe how can we improve yeah I mean seamless uh, I'm sure nobody really knows what everybody does and everyone's importance in the picture but definitely from a sync perspective I know that how well I work with other areas of the industry and I wouldn't be able to have such a rewarding job if it wasn't for our A&R's input or our marketing team you know and our digital team getting certain playlists which you know raises the profile of our acts and vice versa being really responsive say if I get a sync on an unreleased track being able to jump in and put it on DSPs so I think that's where having the wider relationships outside of your immediate clients and artists is really important so you can have those sideways knock-on effects and maximize every opportunity. And Pauline I imagine it's the same for you you know having those relationships with ticketing agents for example. Yeah definitely. To round up I want to learn how each of you are pushing your sectors and your roles forward and the music industry forward so Drift are obviously helping live events become more accessible to all. Foundation FM are building positive relationships in terms of representation and Cooking Vinyl are actively supporting artists to manage their own rights. How are you personally, do you feel you're pushing the industry forward and what are your ambitions for the future of your sectors? What maybe new trends are you excited for too? How are you feeling? I think not being afraid to ask questions or like not being afraid to point out when something's wrong, like lack of diversity or no woman in a team or when a company is hiring just making sure that you're saying your bit about like what kind of profile you think that people should be hiring like having entry jobs available in companies because it's it's so easy to advertise a job and ask for five years experience but if you don't give people the five years experience how are they going to start if no one within those company are willing to give you a chance is just very very difficult I'm always I mean like internal just like having a chat with people and I think is really important and there's a lot of not just like us four on here I think there's a lot of people in music who will have a chat and who will give advice and who yeah so just like always reaching out and just making sure that it is a safe space and making sure that it is a welcoming space for people starting within the industry and people I think what I've learned is that people are nicer than you would think and they'll be more willing to help if you send an email and it's not as uncommon and it's not as scary as it sounds 
Um, Verity, do you have any points on like the ambitions for the future of Sing? Yeah, I think I've, I've, I'm seeing since Blackout Tuesday, especially, you know, music supervisors making a real effort to want to be placing more artists of colour and making sure that, you know, everything is as representative as it should be. And we still need so much change to happen. But I think everyone's really consciously trying to drive things forward and, you know, making sure we're pushing our artists as much as we can so that the money out there is shared around as much as possible. And whether it's breaking baby bands or getting new opportunities on new platforms, just trying to really maximise the impact of everything. Brilliant. And Frankie, do you have any points on that? Yeah, I think connecting and networking on panels like this and just asking questions and being unafraid and not not waiting for permission are so key in change. I've definitely been anxious and scared to send that email or ask for something. We need change and people aren't as cool or scary as you think. Um, I'm definitely not. So I think just put yourself out there. What's the worst can happen? I also think don't be scared to fail because every single time I failed, Success has come off the back of it. Foundation was launched the day after I got made redundant. So don't be scared to make mistakes. Brilliant. So thank you so much for you all being on the panel. It's been really great for us to talk through all the different job roles available, the state of the industry and how to manage ourselves as human beings, but also going into the industry and managing all these expectations and how to navigate our way through. So Yeah, there's been some really valuable advice. And I think the biggest takeaway was just to go out there. Don't be scared to get in touch with people, network, keep doing what you're doing. So, yeah, thank you so much, all of you. Yeah, see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much to Pauline, Frankie and Verity for joining me to discuss their experiences in music and I hope you're now feeling really energised and excited by what's out there. We'll be back to the normal schedule of podcast episodes next week so please subscribe to Digital Dissect on the podcast app of your choice for free to be notified when the next episode goes live. Please get involved at rebeccareeseorg slash digital dissect with your thoughts and opinions and follow digital.dissect on Instagram to join in the journey as we navigate the complexities of the music industry. Thank you again to my panellists, Keely and all of the team in the show notes.